Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thanks, ma'am. You may be seated. All right. My name is Royce, and I'm one of the elders here at Hill City. And uh, this is a picture of my family uh, up here. And uh, so my family and I went uh, to Kanakuk Family Camp. It's a camp down in Branson. We went there a few weeks ago, and we had a really great time. And this is our picture the day we arrived. And so I don't know about you, but when I look at a picture of my family, I immediately look at myself. And so I, I look at me in that picture, again, the first day of vacation, and I see a guy who thinks that he's ready, that, that he's actually ready for this vacation, whatever it has to throw at him. And I also see a guy who is very wrong. He, he's not ready. He had no idea what, what was coming, what was ahead. And so I'm just going to give you maybe just a little glimpse into just one hour of our vacation. So we're hanging out by the pool, and my wife comes up to me innocently, and she's like, hey, do you mind watching the kids for an hour? I'm just going to go for a run. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm a grown adult man, after all. They're my kids. I'm their dad. Yeah, I can watch my own kids. That's, that's fine. And anyway, we, like I said, we're at the pool, and they're all entertaining themselves, playing. I'm like, this will be easy. I'll just get out a book, kick up my feet, and relax. This is going to be wonderful. And that is when the onslaught began. So uh, my two youngest, it doesn't take long, one of them comes up to me. He's like, Daddy, will you come swim with me? Yeah, sure, okay, yeah, let's swim. A few minutes later, my other son, hey, Daddy, will you go down the slide with me? Yeah, sure, let's do this. A couple minutes later, Daddy, I have to go potty. Okay, yeah, let's go. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Okay. Daddy, will you get me a snack? Yeah, okay. Then my daughter comes up, Daddy, I think I lost my contact. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. All right. And then my son comes up to me, and he's like, Daddy, I busted my tooth on the pool ladder. Are you serious right now? <laughs> what? You busted your tooth on the pool ladder? I'm like 10 minutes into this, <laughs> and already I'm like fighting the urge to text my wife, like, come help. But of course, I know I can't do that. that. That's the last thing I can do. And so I'm like, okay, let's just, we'll figure this out. And, and somehow... I don't know, we, we survived. And finally, my wife comes back, and I'm like, yeah, nothing happened, it was easy, Total, totally fine, we're fine, uh, but I was ready to take a break. Um, so anyway, here's the thing, here's what I learned. I learned that when my kids need something, 
they know what to do. When my kids need something, they find their daddy. And we're going to talk about that today. Today, we are in week four of our summer in the Psalms. And last week, Brad talked about how life is hard. We face different hard things every day. Maybe it's difficult people or a difficult decision or a difficult task or a disagreement or conflict. The list goes on. There's all these difficult things. And the question is, what am I going to do about it? There's lots of different options. You know, I can uh, analyze it. I can make a plan. I can act. I can worry. I can complain. Or I can pray. And in Psalm 4, we come to a psalm of David where he does just that. He's facing hardship. We don't know the exact situation, but it's a people problem. There are these people that are coming against him, and it's not the enemy. It's actually his own people that are coming against him, and they're saying things that just aren't true. And he's faced with that question, what am I going to do about it? And like my kids, David does the thing that makes sense. He runs to his daddy. He goes to his heavenly father. He calls out in prayer. And so today, through this psalm, we'll see what it looks like to pray when life is hard. And along the way, we'll learn three things about prayer. We'll learn that prayer is purposeful, it's powerful, and it's productive. We'll see that it's purposeful, it's powerful, and it's productive. So first, purposeful. Verse 1 says, answer me when I call. David doesn't waste any time. Right out of the gate, he says, answer me when I call. So why? Why does he do this? Well, when hardship hits, David knows that he is made to pray. That is what he is meant to do, is he is meant to pray. David was created to pray. His primary purpose in life is to be with God. So how does he know that? Like, where does that come from? And so we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 2, the second chapter of the Bible. So Genesis 2 is an account of God creating man and woman. And it's this really beautiful scene because it's a picture of the design. You know, like life before sin enters the world. And we're going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So I just love this. I mean, I mean, what a scene. Actually, at first, it's maybe a little bit mundane. But even in the mundane, we can see that God is in control of everything, every little detail. So there's no rain, but God has made this mist to come up and just water all of the land. And in the midst of this, God, you know, he takes some dust and he forms a man. He starts to form a man. And, and I'm just trying to imagine this. And I'm like, is there anything more intimate than that, than actually using his hands to form a man? 
And actually, yes, there is, because in just a second, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and this man comes to life. And Genesis 2 goes on, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And we don't have time to go through all of Genesis 2, but just a little bit later in verse 16, we see God speak to the man to the first time, for the first time. And then in verse 18, God speaks to the man again. And then in verse 19, God brings all the animals to the man. And, and what it says is it says he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And then in verse 19, it says, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So what's going on here? You know, what, what's the point? So what we see in Genesis 2 is our purpose on full display. Our purpose is to be with God. And as we spend time with him, as we do life with him, a couple things happen. The first thing is that we get to enjoy his presence. I think of the word presence as the phrase I'm with you. And as I think of the man in the garden, I can't help but think of the old Merle Haggard song. It goes, I'm not going to sing it, but it goes something like this. He walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And that's what we see in the garden is this man just enjoying the presence of of God. And every step of the way, it's like God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But that's not all, uh, because we see another thing. We see that he is resting in the providence of God. And I love this word providence. Providence is a really great word, because it's not just providing. It's actually foreseeing and attending to. What providence means is is it's knowing just what you'll need and having a plan to meet that need. And, and I think of providence as the phrase, I got you. And that's what we see in the garden. God takes his time. He knows exactly what the man will need. And he always has a plan to provide it in just the right way at just the right time. In Genesis 2, the phrase, the Lord God is followed by an action 11 times. 11 different times we see that phrase in an action, and it's like over and over again, God is saying, I got you. I got you. I got you. And so this is the purpose of prayer. Prayer is how we remember, it's how we experience God's with me and he's got me. And so as we face hard things, you know, whatever that might be, big or small, uh, and I don't know what it is for you today, maybe it's finding a place to live in a crazy housing market, uh, maybe it's caring for an aging parent or navigating conflict with a friend or deciding on a career path, or maybe you busted your teeth on a pool ladder, you know, whatever it is, it's an opportunity to call out to your Heavenly Father and remember, he's with me, and he's got me. 
So we're only five words in to this psalm, and so far we see that prayer is purposeful. Our purpose in life is to pray. And next we'll see that prayer is powerful. And powerful maybe in an unexpected way. This is kind of an inside-out kind of power. Because for me, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget the purpose of prayer. And I think of prayer as more like a means to an end. I pray so I can get things. I want prayer to be more of a transaction. And, and maybe that, I mean, that's part of prayer, asking for things, but it's not the purpose of prayer. As much as I want it to be like, God, give me rest, boom, he gives me rest. And God, give me peace, and boom, God gives me peace. That's not really the way prayer works. Prayer is not transactional, it's transformational. So what happens is we spend time with God, we remember him, we process things with him, and then we come out on the other side a different person. Someone who is able to rest in him maybe a little bit more. And today we get to see David basically walk us through we get to see David basically go through this process. So again, in verse 1, he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So the first thing David does is he fixes his mind on God. So remember what's happening here. People are attacking him with their words. They are hurling false accusations his way, and I would think the temptation for David would be to use his words to fight back. But that's not what David does. Instead, David uses his words to declare that God is the God of his righteousness. It's like David is taking a step back and he's saying, you know what, it, it doesn't matter what I say about me. It doesn't matter what they say about me. The only thing that matters is what you say about me because you are the God of my righteousness. And he doesn't stop there. He then, David then uses his words to affirm God's faithfulness. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. And this is such a beautiful word picture. When he, these words, given me relief, they actually mean made room for me. And this word distress, it's actually this picture of being hemmed in. So what David is saying, he's saying, when the world is closing in on me, you make room for me. When I think about this, I think about my kids. You know, I mentioned earlier when they need something, they come to me for help. And I want them to feel like, you know, I always have time for them. I always have space for them. I always have energy for them. But of course, you know, that's just not true. I, I don't. I don't always have time. I don't always have space. And I don't always have energy because I go to work and I get tired and I get grumpy and, and I hate it. But the truth is that I will disappoint my kids. That's just the fact. But the truth about God is that he is not that way. Our Heavenly Father is not this way. He is eternal. He always has time for us. He is ever-present. He always makes 
room for us. And he is all powerful. He never slumbers or sleeps. He never gets tired. He never gets grumpy. He's always patient, always loving, and always available. It reminds me of Psalm 23, another Psalm of David, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And as David prays, he's remembering these things about God. And, and he goes on, he says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And the word for gracious here conveys extreme generosity. It's this idea of not holding anything back. And it's like David is saying, I know all through my life I can see you've never held anything back. And I pray again right now, don't hold anything back. And as David remembers God's righteousness and his faithfulness and his generosity, David starts to gain some perspective. And in a miraculous way, after crying out to God, what likely began as anger about his situation starts to turn into compassion. He says, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Because again, these men are attacking David with their words. And what David is saying is it's really bad for them. Not, not for him really, but for them. And he uses this phrase, how long? And it might not sound like it at first, but this is really a phrase of compassion. David sees these men languishing, and he calls it out because he wants better for them. He wants more for them. He sees, you know, they are dishonoring their king, and that really only serves to dishonor them. And David says, he says, they love vain words and they seek after lies. And both of these phrases, vain words and lies, what they communicate is emptiness, futility. He's saying, you're wasting your breath. These men, they're working so hard to destroy David, but in the process, they're only destroying themselves. And it's a picture of what sin does to us. Sin promises more. Sin promises better, but in the end, it only delivers death and destruction. And so David speaks to these men, not just to call them out, but to call them up. He doesn't stop with the how longs. He tells them to take a breath. We see this little word in our Bibles, Selah. It's like he's telling them, take a breath, because I'm about to paint a picture for you of what's possible. I'm going to teach you how to use your words. And so he goes on. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. So what David does here is he redefines these men. He actually renames these men. It's no longer O oh, men. He doesn't call them O oh, men. He calls them the godly. The Lord has set apart the godly 
for himself. And if you'll, and this is really cool, so if you'll just take like a, a really quick language journey with me, it'll just take a second um, because I think this is, this is really neat. So the word for godly here, it's translated godly, uh, but it's the Hebrew word chasid. Uh, and the Hebrew word chasid uh, actually means the object of the steadfast love of God or the loved ones, the loved by God. So again, it's translated in our Bibles, the godly, but it could just as easily be translated beloved or loved ones. And then David's name is David, which means object of the steadfast love of God or beloved. So we've got the chasid, which is beloved, and we've got David or David, which is beloved. So what David is communicating here is he's saying, we're the same. We are both loved by God. So you want to shame my name? You want to dishonor me? Well, guess what? My name is your name. We're on the same team. We're the loved ones. God loves me and God loves you. And he has set us apart for himself. It's not just me. It's me and you. It's us. That is our purpose. Our purpose is for him. We are set apart for him. And so it's like he's saying, you can continue to use your words to tear me down if that's what you want to do, but you're only tearing yourself down in the process. You're wasting your breath. But then he says, but guess what? Guess what? There's another way. There's a better way. He says, listen to this. The Lord hears when I call to him. It's like he's saying, my words actually means something because the Lord hears when I call to him. And it's like he's saying, remember, remember, we're the same. So if the Lord hears me when I call, the Lord hears you when you call. So do it. Call to him. And David explains what that looks like. He says, not yet, not yet. There's a few things I want you to do. Prepare your hearts, and then we're going to do this thing. So we're going to look at four quick things. He says, be angry and do not sin. So the first thing, he says, be angry. So what is he saying here? He's saying, it's okay. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to react. It's, it's okay if you want to disagree with me. That's fine. In the NIV, be angry is translated tremble. It's like David is saying, it's okay to tremble. Feelings, reactions, emotions are not sins. But then he says, you know, be careful because they can lead to sin. He says, be angry and do not sin. So what sin is David talking about here? I think on the surface, he's going back to these vain words and lies, but I think he's also pointing out that there's a sin underneath that sin, and that is the sin of not remembering God. So if we think back to our purpose, our purpose, we are meant to do life with God. But what sin wants us to do, what sin wants to do, what sin would love to do is to separate us from God. Sin will take every opportunity to take our minds off of God. It reminds me of the Israelites in the wilderness. God had been so faithful to them. He frees them from slavery. He leads them through the Red Sea. When they're hungry, he feeds them. When they're thirsty, he gives them something to drink. 
When they need shelter, he gives them shelter. He leads them every step of the way. And it's like he's saying, I'm with you. I got you. I'm with you. I got you. And I think about the Israelites, and I'm like, oh, man, of course, there's no way. You know, if hardship hits, there's no way they're going to forget to pray. Obviously, the first, that's going to be a reflex. Obviously, the first thing they're going to do is pray. Well, and then we come to Numbers 11, where it says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. So, my youngest son, he needs help in the bathroom sometimes. So, like a lot of kids his age, he needs help in the bathroom. And so, I want him to know, I, I want him to never be embarrassed about that. And never have to feel like he takes care of it, has to take care of it alone. And so, I have been abundantly clear to him, uh, maybe too clear, maybe I've gone a little overboard with this, but I make it very clear, if he ever needs help, to just ask, and I'm happy to help him, okay? All the way to the point that I got this card for Father's Day the, uh, last week. And so it's one of those cards that kind of has these prompts that you fill out. Um, and I don't know if you can see it over there. We'll, we'll kind of zoom in. It says, my dad loves me. His favorite place is the library. His favorite color is blue. He makes the best omelets. And he always says, I don't know if you can read it, but it says, my daddy always says, my favorite thing is wiping bottoms. <laughs> That's what his dad always says. Um, <laughs> and it's true, because at our house, that's how it works. You know, maybe before he goes, he'll come and be like, hey, you know, Daddy, I'm getting ready to go, so you know. And I'm like, yeah, I got you. Or, or maybe I'm just at home, and I hear this, this cry, you know, like, Daddy! Daddy, come help me! And I run, and I'm like, hey, what's up, buddy? I'm here. Let's do this. I love you, man. I love wiping bottoms. Let's go! And that's, anyway, that's just how it is. That, that's what it's like at our house. Um, so now imagine this, this has never happened, but imagine tomorrow I'm home and I'm just hanging out, out outside the bathroom and, and he's in there, you know, taking care of business and uh, I'm just waiting for his call and he never calls and I'm just standing there waiting um, and instead he, he uh, gets his mom in there and, and his brothers and his sister and they all just start complaining about how I'm never around and how whenever he needs me, I'm never there to help him. And the whole time, I'm right outside the door listening to this conversation. And I imagine if that were ever to happen, I'd be like, are you serious right now? Like, I'm right here. And that situation would be heartbreaking. But that's what's going on here. The Israelites don't call out for help. They just complain. And it says that God's anger is aroused. And I think it's not because they're complaining. I think it's really because they're acting like God doesn't even exist. They're talking about him instead of talking to him because they've been tricked. They've been deceived. But before I pick on the Israelites too much, I must say I can relate to this. I've been tricked. I've been, de I've been deceived because this remembering to pray, it should be easy, but it's not. It's actually really hard. And just like the Israelites, Eugene Peterson says, our habit is to talk about God, not to him. 
So I've been studying this psalm for a few weeks now, and Rustin uh, is my son. He read the psalm earlier. And so most nights we'll kind of read the psalm together and then remind each other, you know, what do we do when hardship hits? We pray. Yes, that's what we do. And then we'll pray. And it's really good. And so then he'll go to bed and I'll go to bed. And so we were doing that uh, a few nights ago. And a few minutes later, he comes into my room and he's like, Daddy, I'm having a really hard time falling asleep. You know, my nose is runny. It's all clogged up. I just can't sleep. So what do I do? I'm like, have you taken your allergy medicine? He's like, yeah, I did that. Both, both kinds of allergy medicine? Yeah, yeah, I did that. I'm like, oh, man, that stinks. That, but that happens to me sometimes too. And what I usually do is I just take a drink of water. And that, that helps some. And then I go back to bed. And he's like, okay. And then he goes to bed. And that was it, because it's so easy to forget. I mean, it was a missed opportunity. But hardship, big or small, and I acknowledge that there's some big hardship, some major hardship in this room, and I don't mean to minimize hardship by talking about a runny nose, but all I mean to say is that God cares about everything, and every hardship is an opportunity to remember. He's with me, and he's got me. So how do we do this? David, again, he's walking us through, and so he breaks it down a little bit more for us. He says, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Again, he's like, don't, don't talk yet. We'll get there. But for right now, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. What he's saying is every night is an opportunity to remember. Just think about it every night because God made the world with rhythm to help us so we could make it a habit to remember every night. You can go through your day, your week, your life, and just remember, reflect on God's faithfulness to you. And then we come to that word again, Selah. We take another breath because now it's time. Okay, we're ready. We can actually talk now. And he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So what is a right sacrifice? Well, David describes it in another psalm. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God loves it when we come to him broken and contrite, weak and needy. His anger won't burn against us. He welcomes it. He loves it when we come to him. And this is the way we can use our words. We can use our words as a right sacrifice because if you remember earlier, God is the God of our righteousness. So whatever we take to him becomes a right sacrifice. We can confess our sin. We can thank him for his goodness. We can ask for help. We can just tell him how we feel. But whatever it is, it's a way that we can offer a right sacrifice. And in this way, as we do this, God uses prayer to transform us. He transforms us from people who are prone to forget into people who are fighting to remember. He's with me and he's got me. So finally, we'll see that prayer is productive. So as we pray, as we put our roots in God, he produces fruit in us. And we'll see two products 
of prayer here at the end of this psalm. But before we get to that, David shows us what happens when we don't put our roots in God. And he goes back to some of those vain words and lies. He says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And it's like deja vu all over again. It's like we're back to those Israelites. You know, who will show us some good? Will God ever shine some light on us? And what David is showing us is that the, the fruit of a heart that is not rooted in God is discontentment. It's these empty words. It's these vain words and lies. But in contrast, David reflects on his own experience, calling out to God, and he says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So he's saying the product of a praying life is joy regardless of the circumstances. God uses prayer to put joy in our hearts. And it reminds me of James 1. In James 1, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He's saying every trial is an opportunity to lean in and experience God in a deeper way. The testing of our faith, exercising our faith, strengthens our faith. It puts our, our roots deeper into God, and it produces joy. So um, I was working on this sermon a couple weeks ago, and I got to experience some of these trials of various kinds. Um, not really big trials, but maybe some mini, mini trials. Um, and since I was writing this sermon, I was reminded to pray about it. And so it all started as I was leaving the library, and I get in my car, and I see the uh, tire pressure uh, light is on. And so I'm like, okay. And, and so I decide, okay, I'm going to pray about this. God, what, what do I do? And I don't know about you guys, this has happened to me several times. Usually it's no big deal. I can drive on it for a while. Um, but there's also this nice gas station that's got a good, like, air situation. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I'll just go and fill up my tire. So anyway, as I'm praying, I'm like, well, I'm close to the gas station. I'll just, I'll just go to the gas station. Anyway, it was a good thing that I did because my tire was, like, real flat. Like, I don't know how I drove on it, actually, um, because it was flat, and I tried to air it up. But as quickly as I uh, aired it up, it was losing air. And so I realized pretty quickly, I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be changing a tire. That's what's going to happen right now. And so just to be clear for a second, I was not happy about this. I was not joyful uh, in this situation. I was tired. I was hungry, and I wanted to go home. Uh, I guess I felt like a, a toddler a little bit. I, I was just tired, hungry, and I wanted to go home. So anyway, by the grace of God, again, I was just reminded to pray. I'm like, God, help me. And uh, so it doesn't always happen like this, but this time, even in the moment, it seemed to change things. Um, it's strange to say this, but it really felt like God was with me, and, and we were going to do this thing together. So that's what we did. We were, we were changing a tire, and as I changed this tire, uh, I learned something. I, I learned that people uh, really like to watch someone change a tire. Um, <laughs> I like drew a crowd, and, and I think it's especially true when it's someone like me that is not very handy and doesn't really know what he's doing, uh, because I've got the manual out, uh, I'm fiddling with the jack, I'm like, I think this goes here, I don't know, and it's a hot day, you know, so I'm sweating like crazy and uh, trying to figure this out, and people are just like laughing, um, so, and that's okay, 
Um, I think people really just like to watch someone else struggle. Um, and I was struggling. I was really, I really was. Uh, and I think there's some people that like to watch someone else struggle because they're really good at that thing. And they're like, oh, man. Oh, seriously? You're going to, oh, okay, this is how you put a jack together. And, and so anyway, they're just laughing at me because they know they could do a much better job. And then there's other people that see me struggling, and they're like, oh, man, I'm glad because I would struggle too. I, I'm glad it's you and not me. Uh, and a couple people actually came up to me, and they're like, hey, glad it's you and not me. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's really nice. Um, so anyway, eventually, I, I get the tire changed, and I head home. And when I get home, the hits keep coming. You know, again, not big things, but little things. You know, I get home, the internet's not working. Uh, we're trying to find this book to return to the library. We can't find it anywhere. Um, but each time, we just pray. And it's not like something magical happens, like we get these instant solutions to our problems, but it was actually really nice because God was with us and we were able to tackle each thing together. And so through all this, slowly but surely, I'm learning that every little thing is an opportunity to pray. And the more we can pray, the better because God uses prayer to produce things in us. He uses it to put joy inside of us. And so finally, David hits on one last product of prayer, he says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So David experiences peace and rest in God. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but people who pray are different. So just like David in this psalm, uh, we see he's honest, he's compassionate, he has joy, he has peace, and this different kind of life is actually the life we are meant for. Like, this is what we were created for. And it reminds me of this 90-year-old lady I saw in clinic this week. Um, we just got to talking while she, while she was there, and I realized she'd actually been facing some serious hardship in her life. She said that her son recently passed away from COVID, and then she was telling me about how her husband is currently battling cancer and how part of the treatment for the cancer is chemo and how the chemo is causing these really painful sores in his mouth and it's making it really hard for him to be able to eat. And there's some days he just doesn't eat at all and so because of that he's starting to lose a bunch of weight. And there were some other things too that she's just sharing with me. Again, not really complaining but just kind of sharing what's going on in her life. And, and after hearing all this, I'm like, man, like, how are you doing? Like, like, how are you doing with all that? Like, that must be really hard. And uh, what she did, she just smiled at me, and she said, God is so good. And, uh, and it wasn't like this naive statement, it, but I could tell, I could tell she, like, really meant it. And when she said that, I couldn't help but think, like, really, like, how can you say that? Like, like how are you able to say that? And as I thought about it, I realized, you know, she is very aware of the hardship in her life. It's not like she was putting her head in the sand. She wasn't pretending like it wasn't hard to lose her son. She wasn't pretending like it, you know, it's, that it wasn't hard to have her husband be battling cancer. She was fully aware of her hardship. But at the same time, she was fully aware of her Lord.
she knew that no matter what, he's with her and he's got her. And Psalm 4 reminds us of those things. It, it reminds us that we are made to pray. It's purposeful, it's powerful, and it's productive. And so you'll notice if, if you read this psalm in your Bibles at the top, it says, to the choir master. And that's because this psalm is a song. It's a song that's meant to be sung over and over and over again to remind the people the truth about God. And this particular psalm is considered an evening psalm, words we can pray together at the end of the day. And so I would encourage you to do that this week. You know, maybe it's just a verse or two that maybe really resonate with you, but use it. Use this psalm as a tool, as a liturgy to help you remember God's with you and he's got you. Let's pray.